The Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, the truth is out there. Turmoil strikes a star empire. Storytelling on an epic scale and mentors and monsters. Plus, we continue our ongoing audiobook serialization of John Ringo's Live Free or Die, all right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It is a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afshirod. This week, we're bringing you something a little bit different, and we couldn't be more excited about it. Instead of discussing one of our new releases this week, we're bringing you a roundtable discussion on the UFO phenomenon with Travis S. Taylor, Les Johnson, Tim Powers, and Bain publisher, editor-in-chief, and art director, Tony Weiskopf. This was moderated by podcast guest host, DJ Butler. The truth is out there, friends, and today on the Bain Free Radio Hour, we look to the skies for answers. But first, the news. Let's take a look at the February hardcovers and trade paperbacks. First up in hardcover is A Call to Insurrection by David Weber, Timothy Zahn, and Thomas Pope. This is the latest installment in the Manticore Ascendant series, part of the larger Honorverse. Not long ago, the Star Kingdom of Manticore was a small, unimportant interstellar backwater. Now Manticore has become a target. The Star Kingdom isn't certain who is attacking it or why, but one thing is certain. Manticore needs a capable space navy, and it needs allies such as the relatively nearby Republic of Haven and the powerful, experienced Andermani Empire. Enter Travis Long and his wife Lisa. It is their task to help build that navy. Opportunity for Manticore beckons if Travis and Lisa can manage to navigate the fires of interstellar insurrection. And next up in trade paperback, we have Aliadin Universe Constellation Volume 5 by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. These popular collections gather up all of the miscellaneous novellas, short stories, novelettes, and odds and ends in the groundbreaking Liaden Universe series in a handy trade paperback package. For more than 30 years, the Leading Universe novels by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller have captivated readers with their unique blend of action-adventure, science fiction, and interpersonal relationships. Sure to delight longtime fans and newcomers alike, these 10 tales highlight why the nationally best-selling Leighton Universe novels are treasured by space opera aficionados with amazing settings, strong characterizations, compelling romance, and edge of the chair action in the stories that range from cosmic to comic. And then there's Library of the Sapphire Wind by Jane Linscold, the first of two books coming out this year in her new Overwear series. Instead of mentors, they got monsters. That's what Zirak, Varys, and Grunwald think when three strange creatures shimmer into being within the circle of Hetua Shrine. And why shouldn't they? 
After all, they've never seen humans before. Margaret Blake, Peg Gallegos, and Tessa Brown are equally astonished, but also better prepared. A widely varied course of reading material has intellectually primed them for the idea that other worlds, even worlds where people with traits more commonly ascribed to animals may exist. But despite their differences, these mentors and inquisitors must join forces to solve an overriding mystery. Their first task, find the library of the Sapphire Wind, destroyed years before. There, they may find out how to ask the right questions to save themselves and overwear itself. That's a call to insurrection, a Leaden Universe Constellation Volume 5, and Library of the Sapphire Wind, all out now. Do you prefer your books electronically? Do you like discounts? Well, head on over to Bain.com for our February Before Honor ebook sale. Honor Harrington may be the best military strategist in the Star Kingdom of Manticore, but she is also the heir to a noble legacy. This month, we're celebrating the tales in David Weber's landmark Honorverse that take place before Honor comes on the scene in On Basilisk Station. For the month of February, get $1 off previous entries in the Manticore Ascendant series, as well as the Young Adult Star Kingdom series featuring Honor's ancestor, Stephanie Harrington. The sale runs through February 28th, and these discounts are good wherever Bain eBooks are sold. And that's it for the news. So I'd like uh, to welcome everybody to the Bain uh, podcast video cast. My name is Tony Weisskopf and I'm the publisher of Bain Books. Um, this one uh, is a special uh, interest to me. This is a panel that I've been trying to get together um, for a while now, and I've been very excited um, to be able to share with you guys. Um, it is one of my great pleasures as publisher of Bain Books um, to be able to get my writers together uh, talking. Um, and to, today we're going to be talking about UFOs. Um, each of the members of this panel have a, uh, a particular expertise that they bring to bear um, and a particular viewpoint. Um, and I wanna get uh, everybody's input on all of this. Um, uh, Dave Butler, as you know, is our usual um, guest host uh, for the podcast and, and he'll be steering our discussion. Um, I know he's been doing his research on UFOs and on the uh, recently declassified materials um, that the US government um, has released. Um, Tim Powers uh, has a new book out from Bain, Stolen Skies, um, about uh, UFOs in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, Tim has a very interesting take on UFOs and, and where they are and why they are and, and uh, how they could be. Um, Travis Taylor, of course, is a science fiction author as well. And he is the star of uh, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch um, and has had uh, his own personal recent interactions with phenomena that has not yet been explained. Um, and from what my understanding is, is that the stuff on the TV show is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and uh, we're, we're, we're hoping he can share uh, some of his experiences um, and thoughts um, on these phenomena with us today. 
Um, Les Johnson is here. Um, some of you may be thinking that Les, who is a, a NASA scientist, um, is here to be our skeptic about UFOs. Um, and I'm here to tell you that he is a ringer. Um, he is uh, going to be doing a book on UFOs set in the Monster Hunter International Universe, a collaboration with Larry Correa. And uh, so uh, he too is going to be having a fictional take on UFOs. Um, and uh, I think he's, uh, he's also interested in um, trying to figure out what these phenomena that we haven't yet been able to explain are in fact all, all about. Um, I'm gonna move the cat away <laughs> and uh, let Dave uh, let, let, let Dave Butler uh, take over now and uh, sit back and listen to what you guys um, uh, are gonna uh, uh, share with us. Thank you, Tony. So um, I appreciate you bringing up the uh, declassifications. The uh, Director of National Intelligence in June published a report uh, which is available online, um, and, and maybe to very, very briefly summarize some of the known events that led up to it. Back in 2004, uh, the USS Nimitz got upgraded uh, sensor devices, and they saw something, uh, a, a little tic-tac-shaped thing, uh, and, and sent out a couple of, uh, uh, scrambled a couple of fighters out there with, with two two-person crews, all of whom uh, I saw visually and also detected on multiple sensor devices this, this thing. Um, 2014, uh, 15 time frame uh, in Virginia Beach, there were uh, separately uh, uh, recorded appearances of a tic-tac-shaped object. Uh, and all of this started to get leaked to the uh, New York Times in about 2017. Uh, and we had a kind of a, a few stages where the Pentagon sort of didn't deny and and, and ultimately uh, came out and confirmed that these were accurate. Congress in December, 2020 said, said, Director of National Intelligence, tell us everything you've got. And, and basically the high level summary, the DNI report, which is available online says, yeah, there are things that we can't explain. Uh, we've been seeing this uh, stuff for years, um, which is, which is a, uh, a little earth shaking, right? Um, so- for a long time, we were able to say, well, it's probably the Russians, right? We, we were able to say, well, these things that we can't explain, maybe it's the Soviets. Maybe, it, maybe you know, this is something that they're working <laughs> on. But after the, the fall of the Iron Curtain, and uh, we, had, we gained more access into their files than we already had, which really was quite a lot, um, we, we weren't able to use that excuse anymore. Is, it, is, is that right, Travis? Is, is, is that a reasonable take? Yeah, so what I would I would say, first, I want to clarify something. Uh, the information was not leaked to the New York Times. What happened was Lou Elizondo, who was at the time working for DIA and the Office of Naval Intelligence, was uh, getting this material declassified and cleared for public release. And all the forms were signed, and it was cleared for public release, so he released it. And then right. his bosses actually realized what they had just signed and said, oh, we didn't clear that. And so it, it started a hoopla and, and Lou got investigated and it turned out Lou did nothing wrong. It was all released on the up and up. But to say it was leaked is a little bit of an overstatement or, or just a little bit of misinformation. I, 
and it's just a nitpick. I wanted to point that out, but yeah, absolutely. The, uh, we, you know, we say our near peers is probably what's doing this and our only near peers right now would be China and Russia. And right. while they have capabilities that are on par with us, we can't create the vehicles that do the things that we're seeing in these videos. And honestly, I've literally seen them with my own naked eyes, picked them up with multiple sensors and seen them do things that it's not explainable with modern engineering and technology. In fact, I did an analysis for the show Ancient Aliens on the video that the Department of Homeland Security got in Puerto Rico. And right. it's of this sphere that turns out to be about the size, somewhere between a basketball and a beach ball. It's hard to get exact accurate measurement because we don't know the exact distance to it. But it's about that size and it's moving at about 75 miles per hour with no exhaust, no heat signatures, and it's completely cold. It flies into the ocean at 75 miles per hour, makes no splash, no wave, no wake, and then keeps going at 75 miles per hour in the ocean and then flies up and leaves. We can't yeah. do that. That would be that would be like jumping off of a 10-story building and smacking into the ground when you hit the water. I mean, that we just can't do that. Yeah, that I mean that's the other thing, right? Is that these are not just flying objects, these are underwater objects as well, right? And, and they might be everything. They might be underwater, they might be space, they might be atmospheric, and there are some accounts that suggest they might be uh, actually subterranean, meaning the material in its path is irrelevant. And that is beyond bizarre and spooky. Yeah, I don't think the Russians or the Chinese have that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, and I think, I think we would know, right? Because they would have used it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'd be in trouble if they did. Um, <laughs> and they wouldn't, yeah, they, they would simply come up through the earth to us <laughs> well and, and if they had the kind of capabilities that are being described here i mean militarily we would be toast yeah right well, so just think about it that's the ultimate delivery system for a, <laughs> uh, any type of weapon if you yeah. wanted to deliver a nuke anywhere you would just yeah. just drive it right through the walls to wherever you wanted to put it in the white house if you wanted to or the pentagon yeah. or pick a place, right. it wouldn't matter yeah 10 feet under the floor um <laughs> Now, the thing that struck me in reading all these things, uh, like you say, it dives into the water with no splash. Um, they are reported as going, you know, mock two or three or four, uh, and they abruptly uh, change velocity, uh, direction without decelerating at all. It's as if it, it, it's like a, a, a ball bouncing off a wall. They, they're going the same speed, even though they're changing direction acutely. Yes, and this my, isn't Star Trek where they have the inertial damping field. So when they did a maneuver like that, their brains would keep going in that direction and, <laughs> and turn into liquid against well, their skull. Exactly. Uh, and even if there were no passengers, even if it was a, simply a solid ball of metal, it would um, deform, ha, uh, fragment. It would, it would go to bits. <laughs> um, so my first thought was they're not physical objects. Physical yeah. objects can't dive into the ocean and make no splash. 
or change direction in the way those things do. Um, I figured they are what you might call artifacts of something going on in higher dimensions than we're aware of. Like um, the, the analogy I was telling Dave about is, you know, Flatland, uh, that book oh, yeah. by Abbott. Abbott. Yeah, and the little two-dimensional guys uh, totally can't comprehend ideas like above or below. And uh, the only they're way not they're Freemasons. <laughs> there you go. The only way they can all they see is dots or straight lines, and the only way they can comprehend a, a circle is by going all the way around it and not seeing it change its length. If going all the way around it, it stays apparently the same length. It must be a circle, because any kind of rectangle would appear to narrow and widen again. So if we look at those little guys in their two-dimensional world, we can like say they're in the surface of a pond. We can poke our finger in there and there's going to be ripples or a splash and they, they'll see the ripples and the splash, but they won't comprehend the thing that intruded from dimensions they can't perceive. So my thought for fiction, not real life, um, <laughs> is that we're analogous to the flatland people and what we see as these AEPs, anomalous aerial phenomena. UAPs. Yeah, are, are the equivalent of a splash as something intrudes. <clears throat> And I'm glad that so far, as I was saying, I'm glad the Pentagon has not defined what they actually are, because the theory in my book would go straight into the trash. Well, so uh, the Pentagon has, they, they, they have no idea more than you or I have. They just have uh, more data. And let me explain something. Uh, and I talk about this in, in my alien invasion book, actually, uh, at, at one point is, you don't, while you might have a need to know that there's a pending doom or something like that, the reason why these things are classified is mostly because the sensors that they're used to detect them, like if they're chasing something in an F-35, every sensor on an F-35 is classified, every single one of them. So they can't release the pictures from an F-35. The pictures you get are typically from a 20-year-old infrared uh, FLIR system or somebody's cell phone. And in fact, uh, you know, that's been some cases, but now I will tell you, um, from the, uh, the video from the DHS thing, in the Puerto Rico incident, you can actually yeah. see, uh, and, and, and also in the Tic Tac video, and I've pointed this out, uh, on a couple of different, uh, uh media locations is there's a bubble around the phenomena and the bubble seems to change its shape and change the appearance of the thing on the inside of the bubble. And this bubble is extremely cold. It's much colder than the vehicle and it's much colder than the ambient air around it. And huh. it actually fits with an Alcubierre type warp bubble where there's a general relativistic modification of the space time around it. So this would enable it to be a real object it's just not specifically in our universe. It's in a warp bubble universe. 
that's moving around. And you think of it, the typical analogy to steer, if you put a, a baseball on a trampoline, if you want it to go one way, you press down on the trampoline and it rolls toward the divot, right? This is how you would modify space-time uh, if the trampoline were space-time. It's not a very good analogy, but a lot of people use it. Uh, and, and so that's what you would do. And you actually can see this in these videos is these objects seem to change shape. And even in a couple of instances, they look like they're two objects. Well, yep. if you're creating a phenomena around it where space-time is curved and bent, the index of refraction of light passing through it is going to change. And you can actually get optical phenomena that looks like this. So there's a lot of evidence that suggests these things are real, but they're doing something, at least to the atmosphere, if not the space-time around them. Huh. Okay, it's it's obviously aliens. Well, this, yeah, I have to. <laughs> I've got to jump in, uh, and and this is going to put me in the typical position that I'm in. Tony, I'm, Tony, I'm not totally a ringer. Uh, I really want to believe. I really, really do. But I find myself uh, in my day job, the guy who's doing advanced propulsion and solar sails. I'm kind of on the edge of reality among my peers at work because I'm kind of pushing the envelope. But I get on panels like this, and I feel like a real stick in the mud and a technological luddite. Um, because I, I am extremely skeptical, and I have been extremely skeptical. I was a, I was a big believer uh, back in my uh, early life, high school, early college, and I studied physics, and I realized the distances and the probabilities, and I wrote a whole essay <clears throat> on, on how unlikely it is that, and it was for, for the Bain website a few years ago, how unlikely it is that any technological civilization would be here at a time in, in the history of the planet when there's a civilization here that could conceive of interplanetary interstellar travel in the time window and all that. It's just very improbable. I, 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 I am good with time travel too, Les. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. No right. <laughs> well, time travel is a whole other subject, right? But just the <laughs> probability of somebody being here right here, right now with something that we would recognize as a technology is really low. Now, now that said, as time progressed, I always was honest and said, you know, if we get more than just, you know, grandma and grandpa in the trailer out in the woods seeing these things and we have really good data that's not just somebody's cell phone where it's just this fuzzy light in the sky then i'd have to reconsider and and the release of all these videos is what caused me to reconsider so yep. so so for me it, it's been a real um I don't know what the right word is, an angst-ridden moment. Because <laughs> when you have your worldview, which you've had for 35 years, kind of challenged, it's it's hard to, yeah. to come to grips with that. And and so yeah. for me, I, I'd like to see, and, I, and I've read some, like in Reason Magazine, they did a recent analysis of some of these films, and they think they've explained some of them, some they have not. The Tic Tac video, they have not been able to explain. Um, but but a few others, they, they have. Travis, they didn't talk about the one that you're, you're referring to. And when you have these complex sensors that even 20 years ago, state-of-the-art technology would see these things, that's not somebody out in the field somewhere. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. And, and, and especially when you have fighter aircraft locking on as they're flying with their weapon systems and they see it and they lock on to the target, um, you, you gotta wonder, you know, what are they seeing? Um, so I, I absolutely think there's something that's being detected the question is, what is it? And it and it's a far cry from assuming it's aliens. I mean, yeah. Got, so I, you know, I never, I never said, I never said they were alien. I just said there's <laughs> our near peers have made a major leap if it's them. Oh, I agree with you. And and, and one thing I want to point out, Les, you, you said it. A lot of people say this, and I and I, I always like to 
uh, especially you being a scientist you know, like myself, we're not here to believe in anything. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily believe whatever these things are. I'm here to uh, you know look at all the background literature and information, form a hypothesis, come up with an experiment to test said hypotheses, and then report the results of that. And 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 thus far, the experiments that I have done, the hypotheses that I've come up with, have always I only pick simple testable hypotheses. I don't say these things are from zeta reticuli because I have no way in hell to prove that. That is a religion, not not a not an experiment, <laughs> right? But I can say when these phenomena occur, my hypothesis based on some things I've read is they produce microwaves. They produce optical distortions and sometimes gamma rays. And sometimes they produce other phenomena uh, such as radiation sickness, such as uh, uh, other uh, people have uh, like agoraphobia. They have other phenomena. So I've watched people actually fall to the ground, and start throwing up. Uh, hmm. So how, how can you test that? Number one is we can't make these things happen. We don't know when they're going to show up. So you have to be lucky with a, a truck full of scientific equipment just ready to go uh, when these things happen. And uh, fortunately, I've been in a, a couple of hot spots where I, I've been able to do that. And in, in many cases, these things are always followed with certain electromagnetic signatures, certain radiation signatures, and certain thermal signatures. And, th and they always do things that are aer aerodynamically and aerospace engineering wise, very strange. Mm -hmm. That is what I can say, right? That's what I know. Well, I don't you know. know Travis, you, you do, that we, we do have this scientific equipment and, and it's what has been revealing to us over the last years. And that is the military. I mean, those, you know, all these aircraft and ships are just, you know, floating and flying uh, uh, scientific laboratories that are scanning the skies all the time, right? And so well, I mean that, you don't you don't have to be fortuitous because we're getting it, we're seeing it, right? Well, I mean that that that's been one of the questions, right? Is it you know are, are these things hanging around specifically around military bases, uh, or is it that we have these sensors around military bases and that's why we're catching them there? Yes, the sensor bias issue. The problem yeah. is uh, our sensor bias is we see things where the sensors are. We, uh, we look for our keys under the traffic lights because it's easier to look there. That's we don't right. have enough sensors, say, in the Arctic, uh, in, in the northern and southern extremes of inclination on the planet. We have some polar orbiting satellites, but mostly our satellites are around the central equatorial band around the planet. So we don't know. Uh, exactly uh, if it is sensor bias, where everybody lives, where everybody has cameras and cell phones, or if they're everywhere. And but you know, Travis, that's changing with these small set constellations all over the place and the continuous Earth observation that they're doing. I think that'd be a great data mining experiment uh, for some graduate students or some people, citizen scientists, if they can get access to the raw data from all these, these swarms of small sats that are all over the place with pretty darn good resolution imaging and, and other sensors. Uh, if there's something there that's not a sensor bias, that, that's more global, I would think some, there might be some information there. Maybe they're attracted to the sensors. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, if you've, got, if you've got radar in a number of bands, maybe they've like, 
like sharks to blood or bees to honey. Maybe, maybe that attracts them. Or could it just be an annoying noise, right? That they're investigating. It's like, did, did, did somebody not put the batteries in the smoke detector? You know, something, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe if we had no radar and so forth, they, they wouldn't happen. So then another well, I mean, that's, that's another question too. And I think that this is one that Les is going to address in, uh, in, <clears throat> in his uh, book with, with Larry is how long has this been going on? Yeah. So well, actually, and potentially revealing trend then is the increasing penetration and sophistication of personal cell phones, right? Uh, we get better, better at capturing higher resolution Im images, and maybe, maybe that will ultimately yield something more like a crowdsourced data set. Though there is, um, there are a number of uh, old paintings that UFO fans have dug up, and there's one especially. I forget if it's like. <laughs> virgin and child or something but in the sky behind them is what we would immediately say oh well that's a ufo god knows what the painter meant it to be but it's very easy to look at that and say look it's been happening all along yeah i've i've uh specifically well we, we talk about this on ancient aliens all the time you know there's there's yeah. so many things like this everywhere but i've specifically have uh, uh found uh petroglyphs out in the desert in Utah uh, yeah. that are estimated to be over a thousand years old that show star patterns uh, that match our, you know, the current star patterns, uh, give or take some, you know, chisel error or whatever they carve the rocks with. And, uh, and then unknown creatures and things uh, in within those star patterns is almost as if there's a a doorway, one is really odd. There's actually a, a doorway with a rainbow that comes out of it and creatures, a big guy walking on the rainbow with little people walking behind it. And the youths say it's their first man who led them here from wherever they came. Um, it, it's a really interesting phenomena. Uh, if you look at it throughout history, uh, that's, that's, that is maybe evidence, but the problem is with that is we, it's an interpretation. We don't have a way to test the guy who put it there or whatever. <laughs> now, when the drawings start showing identical things that we're seeing today, then is when we really get interesting. Uh, like the, the video of the, of the thing in Chile where you had like a peanut shaped thing moving and this black cloud coming out of it. Well, there's a, 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 a petroglyph that's like uh, 800 years old uh, in Argentina that looks exactly like it. But here's the thing, the, uh, the peanut shaped UFO was only seen in the infrared. So how could somebody have seen it 800 years ago? Uh, no, that, that, there's all sorts of things like that. Um, so how do we get from there to here? And how do we today as not say you're working on a classified program, but you're an average American citizen doing your thing how will you ever get to know what's going on? I think, as we just talked about, the sensors are getting so handy and so in such a plethora abundance around the globe that you can't hide these things anymore. You can't say that a UFO crashed in Roswell, New Mexico 50 years ago and covered up. Well, you can cover that up because nobody was there to take pictures of it. But it ain't going to happen now. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Some, yeah. Somebody's going to have a cell phone doing something. <laughs> you can't lie about going out drinking and it not show up on the internet. Yeah, right. It'll show up immediately. I mean, it'll be all over the place immediately, right? Yeah. yeah. Walk down the street yeah. wherever you are. You're on camera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to be some dog walker, some smoker, some smoking dog walker is going to notice this, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? No, I think those those things. Actually, I think those things are posted a lot, and 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 I've seen pictures of them from other countries and around, and and I've always just kind of discounted. Right, because okay, what are they seeing? Is that a reflection? Is that whatever? And and it, it's it's the quality of the sensor systems now that has been a game changer. I, I really I really believe that. It's, well, it's I think from just you know popular what the heck is that to you know people who should know what the heck it is, not knowing what it is. So you have to ask yourself, Les, why you discounted the data, right? As a scientist, it was data. We've, we've discounted it for so long because we've been told, oh, there's nothing to see here. Don't look there. There's no such thing as aliens. Oh, the probability they couldn't get from there to here. Well, maybe no, you're we right. Can't you're right. It's implicit bias on my part. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And yep, yep. That, that's a paradigm that we've got to create. We've got to do a paradigm shift here. You know, the way um, cops can look at a 50 year old crime, and now that we have DNA, uh capability they can solve it i wonder if it would be possible now to look at those old crazy ufo books with their grainy photographs and <laughs> uh dismiss maybe 90 percent of them but say now this is similar comparable related to something we've now discovered i mean i wonder if the, if it would be possible to look more informedly at those old speculative uh, ufo books and and find more in them than what they knew they were putting in them well, well you've got time i really go do it because i got a whole shelf of them right over across the room me too it. me too well, you, you bring up an interesting point that actually is being done and that's looking for dna uh really? in fact yeah in fact uh, uh several different instances where uh little creatures that were found were uh, skeletal remains or mummified remains we thought they people always said they were aliens or whatever uh genetic research has been done on on many of them uh in a lot of cases so far the ones we found uh that we've had say on ancient aliens or we had on, on other shows they've yeah. always turned out to be some sort of genetic mutation but not non-human right that being said though um there is this company, it's a small business that for the National Forestry Service and for the Wildlife uh, Service is they go to the lowest area, the lowest lying uh, water location in an area and they take water samples and all of the uh, runoff goes into that area and all of the DNA from poop and urine and, and the carcasses and all that is there. And they can tell the wildlife uh, conservation folks all the creatures that live within like so many square mile area. Yeah. And so they've been doing it, mapping the entire continental United States uh, for about three or four years now. And uh, we had the idea, uh, me and some other colleagues had the idea of having them look for anomalous DNA. See, in the past, they get anomalies, they throw it out and say, oh, it's just a bad data point. Right, right. But right. are they getting any anomalies? And, you know, I've had them, you know, that's the perfect way to say if Bigfoot's real or not, right? 
he should have some right. DNA somewhere, right? Yeah. So they can do right. this thing there and say, oh, there's no Bigfoot DNA. So he's not, well, he's, he's just not real if he's, you know, that kind of real. Uh, what about aliens? Did, did aliens land here and stop and, you know, go to the bathroom or, or whatever? Uh, <laughs> there should be some genetic material. But so far, there's been no anomalous material detected. Okay. Yeah, I, you're the, the, the heat the, uh, and uh, heat effects and, and the, the measurable effects of, of, of these things. So the, those are kind of exciting to me. Are, are, are they are, are they uniform throughout or are they just or, or not so much? No, I mean, these different videos that have been leaked, some of them have been uh, infrared videos and some of them show heat and others show objects that uh, are, are above ambient, but they don't have like hot exhaust or anything. So there, there's been a variety of things. One of the things that has struck me about all these is they're not all the same. Right. And, and that's curious because there I, I go back to my implicit bias again. You know, if, if, if we're being visited, the, the likelihood is low, but I, I think it, if, oh my gosh, what's the likelihood of multiple different types of these things all being here at one time? And, and why would that be the case, right? So now, and again, I'm maybe making the assumption it's aliens or something, but it could be something totally unrelated to that, a natural phenomenon, some who knows what. But from what I've seen is a lot of these, they're all, some are similar, but a lot are just very, very different from each other. Well, I, I can tell you from a personal experience, uh, Tony, that um, several different locations around the globe that have, uh, contributed data show very similar objects. Okay. So, and these are tic-tac-like uh, uh, things. That, they've been in Italy, France, have uh, been in uh, South America. They were, they've been out in at Midwest United States and they were out off the coast of San Diego where the uh, Nimitz group were, uh, that, it wasn't just one ship. It was a big flotilla of ships. Right. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, the, most of the witness were, witnesses were on the USS Princeton not on the Nimitz. And in fact, I've talked with uh, most of the guys that were on the Princeton that were running the radar and so on at the time this happened. And the things they saw, uh, and, and the radar was picking up, they were at 28,000 feet one second and the next second they're at sea level. And uh, they actually used the descriptive term of these things were raining, the sky was raining UFOs. But uh, my point is that there are groups that appear distributed geographically that look the, that are very similar. I, none of them are exactly the same. None of them look exactly the same, but that just may be our sensors uh, have slight differences, uh, the situation slightly different. And then again, as Les has said, some of them look completely different. Uh, there have right. been some uh, pyra uh, uh, pyramidal things that look like a pyramid on top of each other inside a ball. There have been uh, uh, squares there have been all sorts of strange things are reported and seen. Uh, and, and the question is, you know, are these things really being seen by all these people? Is, are, is there some really good kids at editing videos, making special effects on them? You know, so you have to go through all those things to verify that right. there's enough of them that, that are anomalous that it, it makes you really have to look and say, okay, there's something here that needs more investigation. Now I gotta but, say know, one and, more and, thing. Les always yeah. says this and I can't let him get away with it. Uh -oh. He <laughs> says the probability of them being here is low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, right, there is no probability, know. wait, there is no way 
to bound that equation to say it's high or low. The, Frank, the Drake equation that everybody uses uses our own estimations and our own guesses at what the coefficients have to be. And since we really don't know what all those coefficients are, it may be 99% likely they're here. It might be 0.0000001% that they're here. But it's somewhere within that regime is all we can say. <laughs> yes. I think it's significant that, as you say, they seem to show up as geometrical shapes. Uh, pyramid, the tic-tac shape, uh, I think a sphere, a cube. Uh, that doesn't sound like vehicles. That we, uh, that we would call a vehicle. <laughs> well, true, true. Yeah. But you don't know yeah. what's inside that thing. It, you know, yeah. uh, we, we, we don't know if it's AI, is it a living creature? Is yeah. it uh, a drone? You know, we don't know what these things are. Is it, is it just an opening that could be peered through? Uh, right, you know, like right. a window for reconnaissance. I mean, we don't know what these things are. Well, yeah, we, we expect tail fins and headlights. I've, I've heard all <laughs> kinds of, of things. I mean, right. I mean, we have the, the, the possibility that we're just misinterpreting some natural phenomenon, which would be way cool as a physicist. I'd love to find some new natural phenomenon <laughs> that this is, right? Um, you know, it could, you know, the alien hypothesis, I, I've heard in religious circles, some folks think they're the Nephilim, right? From you know ancient biblical times, I, I've heard you know all this extra dimensional uh, argument that that Tim was making science fictionally, but I've heard serious people proposing such things. All right, uh, it could be sensor ghosts that were just you know these sensors are just weird things happening. Uh, that's I think that one's getting less and less likely. Um, I wouldn't give it a zero, but I think it's getting less and less likely. Yeah. So you know I think Travis, the point you made earlier, and I think we've all agreed to, is we, we don't know what is what these are <laughs> no and, 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 for, and for me that you know the exciting part of that is is that that borderland between the science of what we know and what we don't yet know and can't explain that's where science fiction happens and that's where that's where we all everybody here can play um and uh and run different scenarios right um and you know we can we can try to figure out <laughs> You know, if if it is aliens, what sort of motivations um, could it be? Um, and if it's a natural phenomenon, what kind of natural phenomenon it is, and how we would go about exploring that natural phenomenon? And that's exciting, um, and you know, on a science fiction level, not just a you know real world level. So, uh, one, what do you think? One, one thing, which is a distraction, not to pursue, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But what uh, Doc was saying about um, weird temperature, uh, like a very cold um, surroundings of these things and radiation uh, and people getting sick when it happens. Um, and a couple other things you mentioned, those are all phenomena associated with crop circles. <laughs> Electromagnetic screw-ups, uh, disorientation, um, <laughs> even the freezing. Um, as I say, this that's a side topic, but it's an interesting parallel. And in my book, I say that it's not unrelated. I, I can't tell you that they are or are not related. Uh, I've never been a big believer in crop circles, but again, I'm not here to believe in anything. 
And there have been some videos that, and, and eyewitnesses, and you can take that for what it's worth, that when these events occur, in some cases, crop circles are nearby or left behind that weren't there the day before. And that's not to say that it wasn't a big elaborate plan by someone who was really good at doing these big elaborate plans. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that needs to be run to ground. You're no different than something like Bigfoot or you pick the Loch Ness Mont, pick something that sounds screwy and hokey, but you know what? You got to run it to ground. We, we've got to quit saying things in science are fringe and we just got to do due diligence and good science and say this kind of thing is a thing or so far we have no data that says it is a thing. In my book, I said that uh, naval intelligence goes to crop fields in England and constructs very convincing looking uh, crop circles so that they can later debunk it. Uh, and when a genuine crop circle occurs, naval intelligence is able to get there before anybody else and drop beer cans and cigarette packs and walk to the street so that there's a path to debunk, as it were, an actual one. Yeah. Um, which, well, you know, that's one from the list that I didn't mention is this whole thing could be a big disinformation campaign for some reason. Right. Well, and, you know, and go governments have been known to do that, right? So. You got to You got to include <laughs> deliberate government disinformation uh, in, in the whole equation uh, as, as a possible factor. Well, well so go ahead, you got to you, you got to go read the NDAA and you got to read the budget and the Appropriations Acts and so on and realize that the, the UAP task force was in the NDAA given $20 million to do the UAP uh, task force report. However, go look at the appropriations bill the money was never appropriated. So the task force wrote the report on their own dime and on their own time. So there was never a dime spent that was new money put onto the task force. It was, all, it was taken out of hide by uh, ONI. Now you read the new NDAA and it all goes to USDI and the people they, that, that the new administration has put over doing this wants no, uh, uh, no interaction and oversight from Congress. And the person they put in charge for it is known to be a UFO debunker, non-believer, and thinks it's a waste of time. So the new effort, this A-O-I-S-M-I-O-L-U-S-E thing that they've created, whatever the hell it's called, is, is being politically destroyed. Right, the UAP task force guys did a Herculean effort with no money and no no real top cover, and now this be what's happening now. We're going to have to, the uh, the American people are going to have to stand up and 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 call their congressman and say this USDI thing is nonsense, and 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 so what's what's really going to happen there? They took. ONI out of it, who was doing all of this before. So I'm real concerned that if there is the misdirection, it's going to come out of the office of the, of the director of national intelligence. Well, also, uh, 
your personal experience as someone who's been out there measuring some of these phenomena yourself, Travis, right? To the extent that uh, there is a government uh, misinformation effort, and I'm very capable of believing that the government will misinform me. Uh, <laughs> but but that, that sort of leads us to the same place, doesn't it? Because for you to have been mis misled, what we're talking about is a lot just means the government developed this technology and it's the government's device that you're out there measuring. Uh, so we're still at the point where it's not aliens. What is it, right? Maybe it's not a near peer, but maybe it's it's a it's an oligarch. A it's possible. It's uh, you know Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and and Zuckerberg got together and pooled their money and decided to take over the world. But they'd have to hire a bunch of scientists to do that. They can afford and it. I know a lot of people that would sign up, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. We don't, we don't, this would be Manhattan project sized efforts. And we don't see this from our near peers, from us, or from the multi bazillionaires. We have not seen this conglomeration of brains doing this. Yeah. Well, post your theory on Twitter and you'll get your account canceled. <laughs> yeah. That particular account would be. <laughs> that particular yeah. theory. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still struck well, think... by uh, the things um, Mr. Travis said about a sort of space-time warping around these things. Mm. Uh, there, I just think, okay, that there mm. aren't people that can do that. Uh, yeah. So what I can say is the uh, the analysis that was made from several different videos in different locations. The one that's uh, been publicly released so far is what I did for Ancient Aliens on the uh, Tic Tac video, and it's upcoming on the uh, uh, the DHS video for the Puerto Rico thing. Yeah. It's at least an optical phenomena, whereas the, the imagery gets distorted, and, and you can also see sort of like field lines, like a magnet coming out of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can also see an extremely cold region within this bubble field area. Uh, other than that, it's speculation to say it's space-time warping. Okay. It is clearly an optical aberration. And the only way I could explain that was if suddenly you had an extremely dense atmosphere around it, you know, like uh, you look at a, a laser beam as it goes into water, how it bends because the index of refraction of water is much more dense than that in water. I mean, than that in air. Well, but that's not, if it got suddenly dense around the vehicle, that would slow it down or something. So the only thing in my mind that makes sense is that it's actual space-time manipulation. But then, how do you detect that? You would think LIGO would have all sorts of anomalies down there where they're looking for gravity waves in uh, Louisiana and out in, uh, I think, in Washington or wherever it is. And, and uh, But you know what? Their system probably would throw it out as a bad data point. Well, yeah. it may not be sent. It, well, it's also a sensitivity issue too, and what they're yeah, looking true. For. So yeah, so that's yeah. interesting. I was going to ask what hypo what what, what uh, experiment would you construct to test the hypothesis, and maybe the answer is improving the sensitivity or checking the discarded data from those sensors. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly one of the things that I would I, I have suggested to many for us to do, uh, and the the folks down in Louisiana seem to be amenable to it, but it's mountains and mountains and mountains of data and, and uh that was going, it's going to take someone to create some algorithms to go through it and figure it out yeah i love the idea of going to older 
data banks and uh, measurements and saying, never mind your expected results, let us look at your anomalies. Let us look at the stuff you threw out as, you know, glitches and paranoically assume that they aren't glitches at all. Of course, I keep thinking of this in fictional terms. Right. Well, I think when it comes to this, fiction is just as good as any other speculation. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. The forward that I wrote for Between Planets, uh, the afterward, I mean, I wrote for Between Planets. Uh, Great. You know, Heinlein describes uh, like in one page, one paragraph about this big, he, he talks about how the Venusians use these hover tanks or hovercraft with certain weird angles on them so that will redirect the radar from the Martians and that way they can't detect their systems. And it was written in 1951. Yeah. And I found uh, uh, the, uh, one of the scientists quoted that started the stealth program that he had remembered reading a science fiction story where they mentioned something like that. <laughs> and it gave him the idea to go investigate it. Wow. And, and uh, you know, so you never know. You guys, just because you might not be a trained scientist, your ideas are just as good as anybody else's. Uh, well, uh, uh, I think Arthur Clarke has supposedly invented the geosynchronous orbit. Yeah. Uh, also, that was a great book, Between Planets. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that dragon, Sir Isaac Newton. Uh... <laughs> well, let me throw... Well, I think... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask about something that may be unrelated, but it's interesting that it's got headlines in the same period. Uh, and, and that's Oumuamua. Uh, oh. So 2017, right? October 2017, someone's looking and says, hey, we just had a visitor. Uh, an object somewhere between 100 and 1,000 yards in length uh, passed through the solar system. We only spotted on the way out. Uh, and the, the majority view seems to be, hey, it's a cylindrical rock, basically. Uh, and we see those all the time, by the way. Yes, uh, right. So then, with, with, so with then windows, there are critiques of that, right? And and uh, people have suggested so that we're kind of getting into lesser space that maybe the way the light reflects off the object suggested it could even be a solar sail. Um, but I learned about Oumuamua when I happened to be reading Rendezvous with Rama. Of course. <laughs> well, that's what they should have named it, right? I mean, oh my gosh, who did they, <laughs> what were they thinking when they named this thing? The perfect would have been Rama. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the person who, who's really been behind that theory is uh, Avi Loeb, the uh, chair of the physics department up at Harvard. And he's spoken at the Breaker Discuss meetings, and I've heard him talk about this. And when, when you look at the spectral data and the trajectories, it, it is not inconsistent with the data that it could have been a sailcraft. Um, that does not prove that it's a sailcraft, but you could have probably ruled out a sailcraft after you look at the data and say, no, this is not consistent with something that's getting certain kind of solar photon pressure as it passes this close to the sun if it had a sail. So, so I don't think it's impossible that it was. In fact, you look at it, and I have to admit, you know, I wish we'd had more time. I, I was actually uh, on, a, on a small team that was asked, is there anything we can do to catch it? And the answer was not on your life. We didn't get enough <laughs> notice of it coming in. It's going way too fast. 
Uh, nothing we could launch could be ready to go catch it in time to do that. However, since that's happened, there have been a lot of uh, proposals for studies, and some of which have actually been funded, about how you could establish a rapid response to try to go get close up or closer anyway to some of these interstellar visitors. And Hence the need for a space force. It, it, really? as, a, as a part of that, that's right. But it, even within a, just a scientific observation, there, there have been some proposals about how you could do these rapid, again, in my forte, I'm attracted to the ones that use different advanced propulsion, things like sails and otherwise. And it looks like you could position some craft around the solar system that you might be able to do quick catch up with them if they're poised and ready to go. So it's kind of cool to think about. Yeah, um, we did a, uh, a, a pretty detailed uh, analysis in, on uh, ancient aliens about Oumuamua. And one of the things that, uh, I, you know, we talked with that, Avi Loeb and, and, and those guys too about it. One of the things about the trajectory, Les, if you go back and look at Colin McInnes' book on solar sailing, and, yeah, he, and yeah. there's a chapter on doing a, a thing called an H-reversal. Oh, yeah. I know that's about where that's you're right. going to come into the sun and typically an orbit is an elliptical and you'll come back around like this. But if you pick it just right and you got a solar cell, when you get to this point, the solar pressure will actually push you in the other direction away. And Oumuamua's trajectory was very similar to as if it was coming into our solar system with that in mind. And, and when it reached, I mean, it got really close to the sun. Had it had a cell to deploy at that point, we would have certainly seen something like an H-reversal type trajectory, which would certainly tell us that it was, uh, you know, guided and, and, and planned. Uh, and, we were and, just an intermediate position placed to redirect it in a different direction. <laughs> we weren't probably the intended target, if that's what it was. We were just a, a waypoint to redirect it to go somewhere else. And this would certainly be a generational probe because it was going uh, slow enough that it would take hundreds, maybe thousands of years to go from here to there. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This would be, if, if that's what it was, Travis, it would be a commitment of millennia. Yeah. Uh, and, because and it's you, definitely you, not a, a hyper-fast travel. I mean, it ties into the sorts of things that we we're just starting to talk about in the interstellar research group about what we can do now to send probes to other stars, right? And there's no reason to, to think that we might not also be seeing other people doing that as well, right? Oh, amen to that. I mean, th th that's one thing that I'll, I'll, and you know, going back to Travis's probability thing, uh, the <laughs> probability of there being life out there and there being probes that come through the solar system, I think, you know, I, I would, I'm receptive to that because those are the kinds of things that a long-lived civilization could do for a long time and pepper the universe with them, right? And, and just get the data as it comes back in. Uh, so absolutely. And I can see us doing that within well, well, a millennia ourselves. What we don't want is Neumann's war. So, yeah. No. Yeah, we do not want a von Neumann war. Absolutely. No, because we would lose. Now, uh, didn't we um, make ourselves noticeable with um, radio and TV? Uh, so there's an expanding at the speed of light sphere around us, which is about what now, 50 years, 100 years? No, so the first, the first uh, broadcast that was big enough really to get outside of the atmosphere was 1935, the uh, coronation of King uh, George. Uh -huh. and, and then, then in 1936, the Olympics. Uh, okay. and, and so, but I always qualify that. That's for people listening for radio waves, right? If you are an advanced civilization and you're looking about, 
you know, Claudio Marcone wrote this book in like 99, 2000 timeframe, something like that, that shows you could use the sun of a, you know, solar system as a big gravitational lens and have a ginormous telescope. So if you were advanced enough and you had a big enough uh, gravitational anomaly like a red giant or something, you could pretty much uh, image houses and such on planets in another star system. So they could look at us, even if they didn't have that capability, they could look at our spectral uh, changes on the planet right. and would see when life starts causing things to happen. Like right now, NASA has data that shows there's a methane cycle on Mars that follows the seasons. Yeah. You know, we can't say it's from bacteria or algae or just uh, dry ice or something, you know, uh, you know, evaporating. But there is a seasonal methane cycle, which is what you see over swamps and so on, where there's organic life. And we can do that at a distance. If you're advanced enough to be looking with bigger, ginormous telescopes, you would be able to see when humanity started building huts and houses and walls and pyramids and things of that nature. I have to chime in here because I'm on the team that's looking at that, Travis. There's a mission called the Solar Gravity Lens Mission that's led by Slava Tushev at JPL. He's been the big proponent of this, and that's for using the sun as this big, going back to the magnifying glass we talked about before we got on camera here, um, uh, to, to, to image planets, exoplanets, and the propulsion system to send a telescope out to do this imaging, which we could do almost today. We really could would be one of the sales that we're working on. So you could get out to about 500 astronomical units. And, and I wrote an, an essay for the band website about the galactic internet, that communication system that Claudio came up with. And, and it could be that you could have civilizations talking to each other from star to star using basically the power on an old CB radio at the right point at the gravity lens focus and have pretty good uh, bandwidth and uh, get your signal of noise high enough that you can communicate across interstellar distances. So it's and the cool thing about that too, Les, the cool thing about that, it isn't at one point over here. It's no, in that no, entire no. shell it all is. around the star. And so you can have, you can have conversations going all over the place uh, with that and, and imaging all over the place with that. Yes. Absolutely. So wouldn't they, wouldn't they have to um, have become aware of us through the coronation or the Olympics? I mean, wouldn't the they could become aware of us of seeing a change in? So the planet's been here for four billion years, four and a half billion years. They can do spectroscopy. Can... We were detectable not long ago. I mean, yeah. a long time ago for life emerging to, from the changes in the chemistry of the atmosphere. Yeah. Wouldn't they have to be fairly close? Oh, uh, say 15,000 light years away, something like no, that. Maybe 50,000 light years away, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but that's, we are guesstimating our first big structures on the planet appeared about 10 to 15,000 years ago. Uh, and, and every history book and every person you talk to says something different. But it's just guess, 10 to 15,000 years, we started building straw huts and crawling out of the caves. So uh you'd be able to see that you'd see the fires uh changing the spectroscopy of the atmosphere you'd see if we started farming you'd see how that changes the the albedo of the planet uh so and, and, and we're, we're starting to we're starting to look outward at the planets that we're discovering too yes. and using those same methods to see yeah, if absolutely anything wrong. and james yeah. webb will be able to do a little bit of that although it's not really what it's designed to do and and you know uh, tim going back to your point yeah, that sphere is expanding outward, but you'd have to have really sensitive detectors to see it. One thing that you would not have to have real sensitive detectors to see that you would know is artificial 
was what used to be called the dew line of radars that were positioned looking over the North Pole to see the massive Russian missile attack, right? And these really high power radars, the energy and the, the beam focus of those is like a beacon mm -hmm. <laughs> going, and it's expanding out there still that is just basically this big flashing light that says intelligence is here. So yeah. um, it's not the same as I Love Lucy, but anybody like us looking at it would be able to say that was created by intelligent beings. You know, there's another point. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of throwing a change of subject in here, but uh, we, nobody's breached it yet. And if we're going to explain whatever these phenomena are, these UAP, these things we're seeing, the things we're picking up on video and so on, we got to look at all the possibilities of what it could be. And one right. thing that I, I have kind of been grappling with myself is what if these are backdoors and or hacks into our simulation if we're in a simulation and these <laughs> are super users? You know, I mean, give you a perfect example. Uh, my son and I uh, used to play Minecraft together all the time. And it's one of those, you know, POV games where you're in a world the world has a map that's so big and you can only go from one end of the world to the other at certain finite speeds and you have certain powers you can jump, fall, whatever. There's a physics engine in there. We were playing on a server against some folks and this guy walks up to a mountain and then he just digs straight to some diamond ore. And I'm like, well, how did he know the diamond ore was there? And then he picks up and flies away. And that's not a thing you can do. And, and so we realized that you can purchase hacks uh, and become a super user well so what if these phenomena are super user hacks to our universe uh we don't know what our universe is we it, there's a lot of math and probability that suggests we are in a simulation or uh or, or a virtual environment so to speak i mean think about when you look around you don't render alaska if you're not in alaska you render i'm rendering my study and this computer monitor in front of me. Uh, and that's what happens in a POV game. Your computer is only powerful enough to render what huh. you need to see and sample while you're in front of it. So what I had, if? I had, a, had a road, I had a road trip to Utah and on I-80, it was the same set of birds going in the same exact direction at least huh. 20 times. Huh. I swear to God. Anyway, keep on going, Travis. <laughs> oh, my, that's yeah, exactly I'm getting that. over the idea that I'm not real. I'm just a, 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 a creation of Travis's elaborate simulation. <laughs> Talk not about my simulation. <laughs> whoever it's whoever the you know twelve year old kid is in his basement that wrote the simulation, right? <laughs> or graduate student, or whoever, or maybe. But think about it: if you're God and you're going to create a universe. Do you create a universe in a Petri dish where you throw a bunch of stuff in and go bang and, and you go, there it is? Or do you create an environment where you can control the physics engine and you can make changes, say, at a billionth of a second after you turn it on, right? Or maybe 100,000 years after you've been running it or epochs or whatever the time flow is within that. <laughs> and, and you want to be able to Turn the thing on and, and, and maybe make multiple of these. If you think about what uh, the Hindu religion says, every universe is a bead of sweat that it comes out of Vishnu that was formerly one of Vishnu's dreams. Vishnu has to dream each reality 
And then he manifests that reality. His dream becomes a bead of sweat. And, and the other God, I forget what the other God's name is, probably Shiva, takes it and places it wherever these beads of sweat hang out. Uh, that sounds a lot like Vishnu might be the mainframe or the server that all these are the lobby where you go into all these multiple universes. And Vishnu himself or herself or itself manifested in multiple different times through the Hindu religion as different people. Just what you do when you get killed in one of these games, you get booted back out to the lobby and then you have to wait your turn to come back in once again. I, I have to say, plug for a Bane book here. Uh, Chuck Gannon has has done a nice deep exploration in his Kane uh, universe of implications of uh, uh, what what long long term looking at a uh, you know life life in a simulation is like. So. Um, so just a little plug for somebody not on the panel here. Um, there, there also is um, uh, in the Bain nonfiction we, we we published a you know are we living in a simulation um, the arguments for for that as well. Um, so uh, yeah, so so are we seeing glitches glitches in the simulation? Right? Is it now, Tony? If I had been there and seen the same flight of birds repeated exactly a couple times, I'd get out. <laughs> well let me tell you this is it's actually an interesting point that you're making there tim uh, out there in utah on the ranch where i've been doing this investigation several instances have occurred where three or four people are looking right at something pointing at it and saying it's right there and somebody else with us saying where i don't see what you guys are seeing so maybe it's a difference in perception, a difference in how we take in the data. Our brains just won't let us see some things. Uh, I, I don't know, but so what are these phenomena and where are they coming from? I don't know. They're, they're strange. They're stranger than anything I've ever really imagined before. And I've imagined quite a lot. Ah, it's not <laughs> Russians and it's not Chinese. No, I don't believe so. That's if it not. is, we're in trouble. That's that's yeah. where I keep coming back to on this thing is that it, it's 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 just it, thankfully not probable that it's them because I can't imagine it would not have been used for ill purposes, right? I mean, it's just just hard to imagine that that wouldn't have already happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and hopefully it's not some uh, uh, you know Specter Blofeld type character, uh, <laughs> Bill Gates <clears throat> or whoever else <laughs> you know doing this, Zuckerberg, you know. Uh, because they would have, who knows what their modus operandi, their motivation is. You and know, that said, there, there, is, there is money in small amounts being funded to look at these kinds of things, right? The Limitless Space Institute is funding, you know, the, the whole notion of uh, trying to find the, the space warp and looking at these different drives and such. So there is small amounts of money going into the research, but it's a long way away from you know, fielding and testing and flying and, and, and getting away with it today. Yeah, so, uh, Avi, Avi, and, uh, Avi Loeb and Chris Mellon and uh, Lou Elizondo have acquired funding for the Galileo uh, project that they're doing there at Harvard. So, I mean, and, and there, Elon Musk is paying somebody. I was reading the other day that he's paying someone to look into detecting if we're in a simulation. Um, and who's funding SETI these days? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got money to burn, you know. He's burning it in rocket fuel. 
Well, I, I keep remembering I read uh, whatever that big book about Area 51 is. Um, I forget the author's name, a woman. But um, apparently in about 1960, when the United States had captured a MiG aircraft and the Soviets were real angry. And so they were flying observation satellites over Area 51 like every 45 minutes. And so they couldn't, they couldn't do any work because the Soviet observation satellite would be going overhead very shortly. And they had sort of prototype stealth aircraft, something called the um, ox cart, which sort of looked like a stealth bomber flattened out and stretched. But since they couldn't um, do any official work, they painted outlandish aircraft on the runway, uh, like big squids or spiders or egg beaters, and went out with heaters and heated certain points of the paintings so that the Soviet satellites would say, what on earth? It, it's, got, it's got heat, it's evidently got engines, but, it, but it's shaped like a shoe or uh, <laughs> an egg beater. Um, yeah. Well, no, but whoa, whoa, you just, you just raised another possibility uh, that, that in my opinion is not as far-fetched. And, and that is that these are uh, artificially introduced into our military systems by China or Russia. Um, because we know that they've been putting spying software in our computers and other things. We know they put chips to, to tack into systems. Uh, that's one of the reasons that the US government is trying to discourage other countries from using the Huawei uh, 5G systems because they'll be tapping into everybody's communications. Zoom, this 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 meeting could be monitored by the Chinese because Zoom's a Chinese company. They've right? been taking notes like crazy all day. <laughs> you know, yeah, so we I, actually I would... uh, so you know my day job's with the army and we actually can't use Zoom. Uh, we have to use. No, Microsoft I can't go to my day job at NASA. Yeah. We can't. Oh, really, we can't do it really. So you yeah. know, it could be one of these things. A lot of these things aren't really there. They're just artificially induced glitches. Well, so that's a possibility for some of them, less. Um, uh, and, and believe me, uh, certainly we look for that kind of thing, but when, when we have multiple eyewitnesses, multiple sensor witnesses and multiple detections on multiple instruments, if you're going to hack all that, that's complicated. You're good. <laughs> you hack the brain, you hack the, you know, you hack the, an instrument, you hack computer systems, you hack the internet, but, um, you know, it's, it's a possibility. I mean, it. I would be. I would suggest it's more likely that some scientist in a in a human intelligence lab could come up with a way to spoof a brain into thinking it saw something more so than somewhere on this planet we built a anti gravity warp system because the physics and chemistry required is completely different and much lower of a breakthrough. That, that, that was my point. It, it, it's a, it would be a lot more believable that it was some kind of artificially induced artifact. That's not to say that I believe that's what it is, but I think it'd be a lot more believable yeah. than, than one of our opponents actually having the technology. Yep, I agree. Cool. Well, that's uh, a lot of food for thought there. And uh, I think we've got Tim's brain going, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> be interesting to see uh, how all of this gets um, 
filtered through the mind of Tim Powers and uh, um, it, it'll involve ghosts. Yes, yes. I always involve <laughs> ghosts. Yes, well, it should. It absolutely should. <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, I always think there's value in taking as much of actual physics as one can halfway comprehend and sh using it in fantasy. Uh, I mean, because obviously if you say something magical is going on in our world, well, physics is going on too. Like... Um, Arresto momentum, right? <laughs> You're falling off a cliff. Yeah. All right, physics is working, so you use a magic spell to keep from splatting against the ground. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, how would how would uh, some sort of magical procedure work in a starship going some big fraction of the speed of light? Yeah. Do you uh, have to account for special relativity when you right. cast that spell? Right. Yeah. You got to account for all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Einstein's okay. never been proven wrong. You'll have to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know. Uh, <laughs> Even just uh, some magical procedure on a train, if Christian Doppler is standing on the platform when the train goes by, uh, <laughs> does it alter the, the various states? Yeah, if you had yeah. to have a red flaming candle uh, exposed onto something, if you're moving at a fast enough speed and the, can the candle gets shifted to blue, you might be in trouble. You're out of luck. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So I always think there's value in trying to mix the two. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah, what's this I, book that, that you and Larry are working on? It's about UFOs. I haven't, I haven't heard about this yet. Well, that's because no, it, isn't, it isn't totally written yet. It's in, it's in the uh, creation stage right now. Uh, there's a it's, fiction, it's a a fiction book, though. Oh, it's yeah. fiction. Oh, gosh, yeah. It, it, yeah, absolutely. It turns out you, you didn't know this, travel, Travis, and, and the world doesn't know this, but in parallel to the Monster Control Bureau, there, there is an Alien Hunter Bureau that's been a deep, uh, deep pocketed, need to know part of the uh, federal government for years, kept secret even from some of the high up people in the Monster Control arena. So, uh, and sometimes they, they, they step on each other's toes. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out. <laughs> sounds great. That, yeah. But yeah, that, that, that never happens in real life. The government no. just works seen together at the Agency. No two government yeah. agencies ever accidentally walk on top of each other in any kind of operation. Never. <laughs> so well, we're we're looking forward to that. Well, I I think on, on that note, we'll 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 wrap it up. Um, it's uh, um, absolutely lived up to my my uh, my my fond hopes for this. Um, what a great discussion, and uh, I, I I see that we've stimulated. Uh, Tim and Dave, at least I see I see story ideas going going by, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe Travis and, and Les too. So hopefully we'll see more of those down the line from Bain Books. And um, thank you guys for listening in. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, all kind of great. I, I'm just fascinated by by the, the stuff uh, Mr. Travis has said. I think okay. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's 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 really happening and it's weirder than i ever thought it could be yeah. i agree with that <laughs> <laughs>
nine. And we have burned through, Nathan said. There was no telling how much Delta V they were going to get from the gases in the interior, since the Troy was running a bit high and fast. To stop at the position planned, it had been decided to cut the door, which started with burning through to release the gases, on the upper front. That wouldn't put the door in much threat from an enemy. Troy was planned to be over the gate. They planned to put the main opening up and spinward of the gate, well away from enemy fire. Not that Tyler planned on the door being open when an enemy was firing. Tyler had had his fill of meetings in the last two months. The stockholders were up in arms, investors were rioting, and nobody knew quite what to make of the whole thing. And when Congress calls you to testify, you go. He thought he'd done pretty well. The Armed Services Committee had been friendly, all things considered, and the ratings had been high, no death threats. Troy was center of most news. People were still trying to grasp how large it was. The Finnish corporation that was working on the crew quarters had managed to put it in perspective. They'd made a scale model, then models to scale of various notable buildings, ships, and landmarks. The one that finally sank home was the model of the Twin Towers. They were still an icon, despite being gone for nearly three decades. And when STX pointed out that the crew quarters were nearly the same size, and those were the size of a toy car compared to the massive battle station, the realities started to hit. That's a lot of gas, Tyler said. The Troy was spurting a gush of gases that looked for all the world like God's fire extinguisher. Not actually adjusting the delta that much, Nathan said over the hypercom. We're going to have to do some adjustments. Are we going to be able to do that with the door cut? Tyler asked. We've got it under control, Nathan said. Our models say that we'll continue to have pressure for about two days. It's a small hole and a lot of volume. Then we'll get back to cutting. We're not going to have to be done before we have to do the final adjustments. The remaining material will hold it just fine. They were using a VDA. It had taken two hours to cut the 100-millimeter-wide, one-and-a-half-kilometer-deep hole. When they started on the door cut, they were going to use practically every VDA in the system. As they approached the gate, even the primary defense VDAs would be used. It was still going to take two months, if nothing went wrong. Something was bound to go wrong. The amount of material they were planning on extracting from Troy during construction was as bizarre as any of the numbers related to it. Just the bits they'd gotten from the levers were tons and tons of material. They'd pulled 16 tons just from cutting the exhaust hole. The main door was supposed to be a kilometer in diameter with bits. It was going to be a lot of nickel iron burned out. Before they got started on the firing ports, Minimum diameter on the missile ports was three meters. If they went in a straight line, which they weren't, that was 335,000 tons of nickel iron, most of which would be essentially discarded. Tyler had people to do math like that for him. 
Bottom line, what they were planning on doing to Troy was going to make the Connie project look like a backwater. One estimate he saw was that they were going to have to remove five times more material from Troy in phase one than they'd mined off of Connie in five years. And he planned on being done with phase one in six months from when the door was finally open. Most of the nickel iron was just going to have to wait to be turned into usable materials. There weren't enough smelters and there wasn't enough market for all the material they were going to be pulling out of the battle station. Some of it was going to go back in as fiddly bits. Most of it was just going to have to sit in orbit until they had time to get around to it. However, they were planning on doing some extracting because each port also yielded a ton of platinum group metals. He had a special plan for those. That was another installment in our ongoing audiobook serialization of John Ringo's Live Free or Die. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to our UFO panel today. Tim Powers, Tony Weiskopf, Les Johnson, Travis S. Taylor, and moderator DJ Butler. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy, and keep reaching for the stars.